doing things that nobody in the world can Here do. Here comes Bobby. And you got to respect that. He's one of the so best. And coming else. off the top. Here he goes. Oh. Woo. Yeah. Right across the chest. It's Cassidy, and this is Cassidy is Alive, episode 31, in which I am without energy. At the trail end of winter, fucking August, in lockdown, once more, your bitch got the blues. <laughs> I'm not sad, I'm just, I don't know, so fucking lethargic. I have zero motivation. <laughs> I know I talk about that often, but I mean, seriously, I usually have low, low motivation. This week, I've had none. Just none. Right every single year, as winter ends, I just lose all fucking energy. What little I have. Ugh. And I'm at that point right now. So bow with me. <laughs> but whatever. Who cares? So, what's on today's agenda? The weekly update will be somewhat of an extended version this week. It's been kind of busy. I got to talk about the situation with AEW's Max Caster. I love Max Caster, but this boy was a little bit naughty. And he sparked some controversy, so I get to throw my two cents into the well. I've actually got a lot to say on pro wrestling this week. It's kind of a pro wrestling-centric episode, I guess. Wasn't planning on it, it just sort of worked out that way. <laughs> we have, of course, I gotta talk about AEW. That's what I usually talk about the most on Cassidy's Live. So we're gonna talk about that. We have recent WWE releases that I gotta talk about, and a certain death of a wrestling legend that has hit me a lot harder in the days following it than it had initially. Bobby Eaton. And I really, really wanted to talk a little about him later on in the show. I left him out of my pro wrestlers that I like episode, and I really ought to talk about it in this week. So that will be coming up right at the end of the show. And yes, 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 as I mentioned at the end of last week, George R.R. R. Martin and the winds of winter and a decade in waiting. What the fuck? As it turns out, I've got a a lot to say 
a lot to say on that. And I feel like it pretty much deserves its own grander and well-researched episode. You know, because if I'm going to talk about The Winds of Winter and George R. R. Martin, I've got to talk about all of A Song of Ice and Fire. And that's really going to be time-consuming. So we're going to put that on the back burner. Because it's another kind of less-focused, free-form-ish podcast in this 31st episode of Cassidy's Alive. Though, with hope, it's less lazy than it was last time. You know, like, <laughs> last time, I keep harping on that. That episode, I forget what number it was, but it was called Old Game, New Textures. And, oh my god, what a shit podcast. <laughs> Honestly, what a shit podcast. This week was going to be more focused on George R. R. Martin. I've been scorned, but George is safe from my fury for now. So, like I said, on the back burner, got a lot to say about that. So, we're going to put that on the back burner. And for now, just chill this week. For the moment, let's talk transition progress. Okay, so, oh my god. It has been a long time since I've given any kind of update, right? With regard to my transition, I've maybe said a one-off comment, maybe a tiny tidbit here and there, in all of season two thus far. Granted, it's only been, I don't even know, like seven, eight, maybe nine episodes. I honestly don't know. I should know that, right? But I haven't said much at all. So I'm going to try to not yammer on too much here. But if I do, I'm sorry. There's just a lot to cover. So, yeah, I came out to my best friend in November and pretty much immediately, we're talking within two weeks, was presenting as female. Since then, just, this was during the pandemic and I feel like it's because of the pandemic that I finally confronted those issues that I've felt my entire life. I think I have mentioned it before, but I, as a kid, was always confused about just gender, not just my own, but gender in general. So I didn't really acknowledge the difference between boys and girls until I was probably primary school age, right? Until I was like five or six years old, I didn't really understand that there really was a difference. I'm sure that I knew there was, I just didn't, I couldn't work it out. I didn't really fully comprehend that I, I, I'm not a boy, but you know, I was, I was raised a boy, biologically male. I didn't really comprehend that until I was maybe 10 years old. So, and then through that, I just still didn't really accept it. So, the idea of being transgender, gender dysphoria, really wasn't a part of my... It really wasn't something I even knew existed until I was maybe 15, 16. And still, it wasn't, wasn't until my early 20s that I fully comprehended what that was. And from there, it was still 
about five sir years until I really confronted it. So I've been very uncertain about my gender for my entire life. I keep saying the word sir. I gotta chill on that. During the pandemic, I really first confronted those issues. I came out to my best friend. She's been an invaluable help to me. She's my rock. She's my greatest pillar of support. And since then, since November, I've been living as a woman, presenting as a woman. Life has been a lot easier. It's been, I'm a lot happier. Things just generally make a lot more sense. I should have done this a long time ago, but here I am today. <laughs> Doesn't matter. At least I did it. Some people wait until much later into their life. I did it before I'm 30. And I'm happy because I didn't imagine I would ever confront these issues or comfortably live as a woman. So, yeah. Good things. Good times. But since then, we've been still going through this pandemic and six, seven lockdowns. Right, so many statewide lockdowns since, and they've really delayed things as it pertains to my transition. We'll get into that a little bit later. First, I want to talk about just passing. So, my voice, it comes and it goes. That's the first thing I want to talk about, my voice. It comes and it goes. I have my good days. I have... Like today, my bad days, they always, the bad days always seem to fall directly on the days that I'm recording. Go figure. <laughs> Overall, I think I'm doing a lot better with my voice. Even if you hear today where it, I feel that today it just sounds very inauthentic. It sounds very put on to me today. And now that I've said that, you're, you're definitely hearing it. If you were before, you definitely are now. Fuck. <laughs> but whatever. Um, if you go back and listen to the very early podcasts, which I will never do under any circumstances, I kind of really want to take them down, but I'm not going to. They'll remain. If you listen to those early episodes, my voice is horrible. It's so masculine. I fucking hate it. <laughs> I think, by comparison, I'm doing pretty great, but I still need to work on my voice. Like I mentioned, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, someone asked me if I was Canadian. I guess that was last week. Somebody asked me if I'm Canadian, and I'm thinking, fuck, I still really gotta work on my voice. But like I said, overall, I think I'm coming along very good with my voice. Not there quite yet, but I'm coming along pretty good overall. Seriously, I think that I'm passing a lot better in a general sense nowadays. I was just thinking about it just just this past week actually. I'm I feel like I'm passing a bit better. I feel like in a lot of respects I just kind of look like a tall masculine woman, which is better than looking like a man, I suppose. It's a, I, it's a slight, slight, slight improvement. But no, it's, 
realistically, I do feel like I'm passing a little bit better. Thank God for sweaters hiding my figure, which isn't so bad, my figure. Um, I think I got, I have it a tiny bit easier, like, I'm not exceptionally tall, I am between 5'10", 5'11", you know, you wake up in the morning and you're a little taller than you are by the end of the day, by the end of the day, I'm 5'10", in the morning I'm 5'11", or whenever I wake up, so I'm not very tall, I'm just a lot taller than I'd want to be. I, my body isn't hyper-masculine, I do really hate my shoulders, I see my shoulders as being a lot broader, a lot more thick and masculine than they realistically are. My hips kind of rounded, I have oddly feminine legs, <laughs> um, and I kind of have an androgynous face, I always have, so in a lot of ways I feel like I have it kind of easy in that sense, it's a lot easier for me to pass-ish. Of course, I still look in the mirror and 95% of the time I don't think I pass, that's just something I'm going to be dealing with forever. But this past week, I've just been way more confident. I don't know why, I've just been a lot more confident. I feel like I'm doing better. And as I said, I feel like there are things, just natural things about my body where I have it a bit easier, I suppose, that I feel a little bit guilty because of that, because like I said, I have very feminine legs and that's, I have weird guilt, a weird guilt complex surrounding that. I actually, um, I was getting tobacco at the servo at like, the servo is the service station for our non-Australian listeners. Um, I was at the servo at 1am, I typically don't like leaving the house in the middle of the night, but I really needed tobacco, so I was there at 1am and a guy tried to flirt with me and <laughs> I'm just like, okay, I'm, part of me's flattered because I'm pretty sure he didn't realise I was trans, but it's like, it's a fucking servo at 1am. Professor Oak taught me there's a time and place for everything. Fuck you, this is not the time or the place. <laughs> Um, so I have an appointment with a gender specialist on August 24th. Hopefully a lockdown doesn't fuck me over here. Lockdowns have really been fucking me over lately. I was going to change my name. I was going to get like some documents, some statutory decla declarations signed by Justice of the Peace Lockdown hit literally that same day, had to be delayed, I still have my legal dead name, and I, mm, it's very upsetting, but uh, it's been delayed. I have an appointment with a gender clinic, hopefully that doesn't get delayed, hopefully there's no more lockdowns to delay more shit, because I've had laser appointments for facial hair delayed, and that's so bad because it's fucking traumatizing shaving my face, I hate it. Ugh. Hopefully I can get an interview the gender specialist on August 24th, see them, they don't bulk bill so I have to pay for the appointments, 
it sucks, but there's no waiting list. There's nowhere else in fucking Victoria, the entire state, no, seriously, that doesn't have an extensive waiting list. I have to wait for 20 days. Okay, whatever. I'm going to be, just have my consultation. We're going to discuss, you know, estradiol patch versus estradiol implants. I'd really rather the patch, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. One last thing. One last thing on transition. Because I think that this is tied to the transition. So, I've said it before, I'm bi. I'm just finding lately, I'm less interested in women overall. I don't know why, it's just sort of happened. Um, I say it's related to transition because, as my best friend said, I discussed it with her. She said that it's because I've shut that part of myself out for so many years, just didn't confront issues with gender, didn't confront issues with sexual, not really issues with sexuality, but didn't confront a large part of myself, that it's like, I don't know, I don't know where she was going with it, but it feels like there's a correlation, not confronting my gender issues now, I'm finding I'm not very interested in women. I don't know. It just feels to me like there's a strong correlation there. And they're probably tied somehow, but I don't know. I should talk to my psychologist about that, right? You guys don't care. <laughs> you guys don't care. That's my psychologist. So, we're done with that. That's my... Fuck, I spoke for 12 minutes. Oh my god. Whatever. That is the transition update. Let's make a move onto our newly patented Victorian and Australian COVID updates. Okay, guys, so little note here. Um, throughout the process of editing, listening back to that last bit, holy fuck, there's a weird knocking sound. The audio is weird. It was very, very windy when I recorded this, and that was actually the noise coming from the wind hitting my window. I don't know why it sounded that way, why it affected the audio to that degree, with that weird knocking sound. I, I don't know, but that's what happens. I can't re-record it. I, like, have hours left before I can finish editing and post it. Like, I'm at my deadline. I can't re-record it. I'm sorry. I thought I'd just acknowledge that. Now, what segment are we on? Um, oh, the COVID update. Let's go to the COVID update. All of you, listen up! There was one week ago I should probably make a different intro. I want to separate the COVID bit from the overall weekly update, so probably make a different intro, some different music, I think. And yes, I see you there, Tony Schiavone, I'm going to thank you later, because I guess we're going to have to play this music twice. Okay, bye. Anyway, COVID. As of the week of Monday, 9th of August, 
2021, there are 103 active cases in Victoria. We are in a statewide lockdown that was imposed actually the day the previous podcast was posted. I put an update there and everything showing that restrictions had been eased and we're back in lockdown. Fucking hell. (laughs) The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is not, but kind of is, missing in action. He has done fuck all nothing in the last week, and the media is instead busy villainizing the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, and the Queensland Premier, I forget her name, because of the lockdown and the vaccines, even though everybody fucking knows they have no say in the fucking matter as it pertains to vaccines. When it comes to lockdown, it's all we fucking can do. Realistically, like, let's be honest. There's nothing else we can fucking do. It's a pandemic. Stop comparing it to the common cold. 44.5% of Victorians over the age of 16, have had at least one dose of some vaccine. 22.5% have had their second dosage and are fully vaccinated as per 100,000 people. Nationwide, we have 5,005 active cases, 4,729 of them in New South Wales, and 153 of them in Queensland. South Australia and Northern Territory are reporting seven active cases. Western Australia is reporting five active cases and Tasmania are reporting one single case, which is quite alarming because Tasmania are an isolated island. If it spreads in Tasmania, that tells you something. And still kind of fucking crazy to me, the ACT, which is in the, quote, middle of New South Wales, it's surrounded by New South Wales, you got it, they are still reporting zero active cases. Good on you, ACT, I don't know how you're doing it, but zero active cases there, good on you, Canberra. We'll get through this. With or without federal support, we will get through this. And I don't mean just as a state. I don't really mean just as a country, as a species. Our species, Homo sapiens sapiens, will get through this. If we should get through this is another question entirely. The pessimistic, misanthropic side of me wants this to be doomsday. Doomsday, sorry, I'm sure there's some people listening that can empathize with that. Fuck people, you know. But we will get through this. We will. With that out of the way, though, it is the song of the week. This week, my friends, it isn't anything particularly special at all. It's a band we've heard quite literally every single episode of Cassidy is Alive thus far. Floating Roach. 
Now, in case you don't remember, Floating Roach are, of course, the band that do the intro and outro music. I say the band that do as if they specifically made it for Cassidy's Alive, but no, they didn't. I just took it and used it. It's not copywritten, so whatever. It's punk rock. Do as you will. <laughs> but they are a band that I saw a fucking lot of times as a teenager. I grew up near a place called Brunswick, which had a huge punk rock scene. Floating Roach really were the heavyweights of the scene. Everybody copied them. All the bands sort of gravitated to a, if you've ever heard of Crossover Thrash, which is bands like Suicidal Tendencies. It's thrash metal influenced by hardcore punk. The way that Brunswick went, as influenced by Floating Roach, was more like hardcore punk influenced by thrash, kind of crossover thrash in the opposite direction. All the bands started copying them. The scene kind of died. I guess it just became fatigued. And Floating Roach were the heavyweights. <laughs> they are the most memorable from the scene. They're one of my favorite bands ever. Very close to my heart. I searched for their music for fucking years, finally found it on a nefarious Russian website, and here we are. <laughs> so that is Floating Roach. Just a little refresher. The song this week is from their 2007 LP, one of my all-time favorite albums, an album entitled Enjoy. Now, audio quality, much like my own, so I guess kind of fitting that way. It isn't fantastic. It never was. That's punk rock, more or less. The This entire record was actually produced in an at-home DIY studio in an inner-city suburb of Melbourne. It is so fucking punk rock. I love it. This is Floating Roach with Happy Where I Am. Back in just a little while. I can switch you, I split cigarettes, I've got no loose things in my bucket left to spare, don't you guess why? My own stereo, playing no effects, as loud as it goes! Yeah! Yeah. 
If I have to fold one more box, I'm gonna snap. Did you say snap? Stab it to a Slim Jim! Need a little excitement? Stab it to a Slim Jim! Four adventurers in search of their dreams. Wealth. It's mine! All this gold is mine! Fame. All I want is to be the greatest swordsman in the world. Fortune. I'm gonna find One Piece! And... Whoa! We'll get back to you. <laughs> sure, they're dreaming. Got a problem with that? One Piece. Only on 4Kids TV. I'm going to be king of the pirates! Right. So, have you ever played a game called Downwell? It's like $4 on the Nintendo eShop, I assume, just as, if not cheaper, on other consoles and Steam. And this fucking game, oh my god, I have put hundreds of fucking hours into it. It's so fucking addictive. And it's so simple. I guess it's like, god, I guess it's like a roguelike shoot-em-up. You fall down the well, and it's random every time. And I I gather you're shooting. That's the best description you can really give. It's this roguelike shoot 'em up. But it's not like Binding of Isaac at all. It's very fucking simple. Graphically, it is painfully fucking simple in a very endearing way. The the gameplay is so fucking simple as well. So meticulous, yet so simple. You have three inputs. That's it. Left, right, and shoot. You fall down the well, you shoot enemies, or you stamp on their head. Death comes easy, and once you die, you start again. But it's short. It's a very short game. It's a very good game. Very addictive, very fucking great game. If you've ever heard of the Tetris effect, that sort of rhythm you get into when playing Tetris, there's a definite sort of Tetris effecty thing going on here. The Downwell effect. There's a certain rhythm, a trance that you go into. That's the best way to describe it. When you're playing Downwell, you will inevitably fall into a trance where you're falling on the enemies, using a bullet to create space, getting extended combos. You really make an art out of the slightest possible fucking movements. It's fantastic, and when you fall into that trance, it's just some of the most fun I've ever had in a video game. 
I compared it to the Tetris effect before, because when you get into that rhythm, that trance, known as the Tetris effect, it is the most fun you can have in video games. Down well, it's the same fucking deal. The best levels of Downwell are right at the end, but you have to get there. You have to fucking get there through the annoying, arduous early levels, the fun second levels, and then the bullshit underwater levels to get to the final parts, and they're so good, you can't really stop, you just have to keep the combos going, constant movement, enemies everywhere that you can't land on, you have to shoot, but by that point you have so much ammunition, the game just gradually, progressively evolved into a full-blown shoot-em-up, until you get to the final boss, which I've only ever beaten once, but whatever, it is so fun. I fucking love Downwell. I hate that I love Downwell, but I fucking love Downwell. I don't play it often, but when I do, I play it way too much. Way too fucking much. I fucking hate Downwell, but I fucking love Downwell. I play it too much. I should uninstall it from my Switch. Anyway, let's talk about the week. And this week, it is all pro wrestling. From this point onwards, it is a pro wrestling podcast. All of you, listen up! There was... Thank you, Mr. Tony Shavani. Tony Shavani, ladies and gentlemen. Alright, alright, that's enough, that's enough. I do apologize for the repeated intro. And yes, by next week, we'll have a completely different intro for the COVID segments. I can't believe I played that twice. I thought it'd be a funny bit, but just even in recording right now, not even at the editing process, oh my god, that's not funny at all. I'm stupid. I'm a dumb bitch. Let's get into the week in pro wrestling, specifically beginning with the WWE releases, NXT releases. Now, there is a long list of names. I don't care to read them all, but there are two that I'm going to be focusing on as we move through this. Before getting into those releases, though, we need to talk about the absolute fucking state of NXT. Viewership is in the fucking gutter. I mean, they pulled... Last week, not as of the time of recording the most recent episode, that episode will air in just a couple of hours, I mean the week prior, they pulled like 520,000 viewers, which is lower than AEW Dynamite's 18 to 49 rating, right? That's pretty fucking bad. Now, some might argue, well... It was on sci-fi, you know, it got preempted. it wasn't on its proper channel on the USA Network. The week before that was only about 30,000 higher. Well, 
45,000. I'm not good at math. The week prior, they got 565,000 viewers. Holy fuck. It, it doesn't matter if they were preempted to another channel. The ratings are in the gutter. Let's just call it as it is. I just... Oh my god. NXT aren't doing well. At all. The program itself... It is nowhere near as good as it used to be. The wrestling is mostly pretty good. Honestly, the wrestling itself, the product, generally very good. But the show as itself, the show in of itself, it isn't very good lately. There's still hot-shotting angles. They're still dropping angles. The things still don't really make sense. Things change all the time. It's barely a wrestling show. It's become like Raw and SmackDown, just another TV show that so happens to concern pro wrestling. It really became this way when it moved to Tuesdays. Uh, sorry, I misspoke. It really became this way when it went live on television on Wednesdays to compete with AEW Dynamites. It's moved to Tuesdays. We all thought that it'd be better for NXT, but nothing has changed except the viewership, which has fucking fallen. Give me a second, just lighting my cigarette. Like I said, freeform episode this week. I don't care. I'm going to light my cigarette while I'm talking. Let's talk about the future of NXT. As per Dave Meltzer, which I find a little questionable, but I suppose in a way it does check out with Vince McMahon logic. NXT up to this point has been really the workers brand of NXT. A lot smaller kind of indie-rific guys, having spectacular, exciting matches. As per Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer newsletter, he has said, which he said on Wrestling Observer Radio, wasn't published in the Observer, he mentioned that NXT is moving towards much younger, much bigger wrestlers. So, more like a developmental territory, as it was designed to be initially. That seems to be, at least according to Dave, where it's moving towards. Now, like I said, I question this, but at the same time, it does more or less check out with Vince McMahon logic. When things aren't going well, not just with WWE itself, but with any aspect of WWE, any of the programs, Vince McMahon has historically defaulted to big, young people, or pre-established stars, old guys like Brock Lesnar, Bill Goldberg, John Cena, Randy Orton, those guys aren't going to NXT. So, all we've got left are the young, really big bodybuilder guys. And that's apparently where NXT's headed. Again, I don't agree, but that's apparently where it's headed. And that brings me to the first signee I wanted to talk about, Mercedes Martinez. Now, Mercedes Martinez, sorry, I said signee, I mean release. <laughs> the first NXT release I want to talk about, Mercedes Martinez. Now, yes, she's pretty big, but she's also old. One thing that needs to be understood about Vince McMahon and who he perceives as size is that he knows how to push realistically one particular type of male wrestler, really big bodybuilder type, charismatic, 
and one kind of women's wrestler, blonde and beautiful. Mercedes Martinez isn't blonde and beautiful. She's tall and tough. She's... She looks like a fucking wrestler, right? Now, I maintain that Mercedes Martinez wasn't signed to really do anything with her. She was signed among a lot of other wrestlers simply to keep them away from the competition. When AEW launched, Vince McMahon, Triple H, whoever you want to point to, signed up everybody. They started handing out money to fucking everyone and a lot of money to everyone. We've seen a lot of these people leave because of that. And one of them, I maintain, was Mercedes Martinez. I don't think that she would have been a very big difference maker in AEW. Maybe she would have helped the women's division get off to a better start. It was a bit rocky in the beginning, but I don't think she would have made much difference. Nonetheless, I do believe she was signed specifically to keep her away from AEW. And she was just injured, right? That's that's one of the reason I really wanted to talk about her. She was just injured. She copped a stray kick to the head. I believe she was concussed and injured, has been on TV since, and now she's gone. Jesus fucking Christ, right? And now the second release that really, really confused me. Bronson Reed, or as I prefer to call him, Jonah Rock, Australia's short giant. He's not very tall, but he's fucking wide, and he is a phenomenal fucking wrestler. If there were a big Australian promotion, I have my pipe dream of a huge um, nation traveling yeah, we travel around the country, Australian wrestling promotion, Jonah Rock is like the monster. He's my big Van Vader, right? I love Jonah Rock. They released him, and I can't, I, what? <laughs> I don't even understand. He's huge. Again, he's not very tall, but he's huge, and he's such a great wrestler, and he's awesome, and like a month ago, he had a title, and now he's gone. All I can say with regard to Jonah Rock is, <laughs> oh my god, he is going to go somewhere and be a star. I'd pay a lot of money to see Jonah Rock versus Minoru Suzuki again. I saw them, I saw that match when New Japan Pro Wrestling first came to Australia. I saw it in Festival Hall live. It was the best match. Back on tape, it wasn't quite as good, but live, holy shit, so exciting. They beat the shit out of each other, and I loved it. I'd pay cash money to see that again. Let's see what happens to Jonah Rock. And we'll also see what happens with one Adam Cole. So, Adam Cole, maybe it's changed as per the time of publishing. It wouldn't be the first time that something changed on a day's fucking notice and made me look like an idiot, but... Adam Cole, his contract is about to expire, and allegedly he has not signed a new one. Now this is a really important, important thing, because Adam Cole walks into AEW as a top star, 
within six months, he becomes a major draw. That is definite. Adam Cole returns to Ring of Honor. He's immediately a huge drawing card for them, and Ring of Honor is back on the map. Adam Cole goes to NWA. Suddenly, you have a second notable wrestler in NWA, along with Nick Aldis. No matter what Adam Cole does, as far as American professional wrestling is concerned, you know, he goes to Japan or Mexico, it doesn't really change much, but as far as American professional wrestling is concerned, Adam Cole goes anywhere else, he is immediately, immediately a huge fucking deal. If he stays in WWE, which I am 100% confident he will, if he stays in WWE, he's not going anywhere on the main roster. I can tell you with certainty, Adam Cole on WWE's main roster, Raw or SmackDown, he's fucking nothing. He's relegated to shows like main events within a year. And I don't say that out of spite, I say that based on the track record and the, the general direction of WWE as I've seen it for the last 18 months. We're really going back to the land of the giants here, and Adam Cole is not a giant. Should he stay in NXT, which I am pretty sure that's what's going to happen with Adam Cole, he's going to renew his contract, stay in NXT, he's going to be the face of that brand until the day he retires. But there's still the question, Adam Cole's contract's, um, I almost said retiring, expiring, what's he going to do? What is he going to do? And again, we'll just have to wait and see. Now, I was going to talk about NXT's overall purpose that, you know, it's become sort of quasi-developmental lately. It began, it began, it was really pushed in 2013 and 14 to compete with Ring of Honor and the Indies. Actually, you know, fuck it, I'm going to talk about it. So, NXT. NXT is, make no mistake about it, just an extension of Vince McMahon's Monopoly. NXT stole away from Ring of Honor, not just the talent, but the popularity. It stole away from Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, because, and all the other big indies. I don't know why I said Pro Wrestling Guerrilla when I meant just indies. It stole away from a large section of professional wrestling just the general interest. And it all became NXT. Everything you'd see in NXT during what you'd call its prime was just shit you'd see on the independent circuits. That's what it was really meant to be doing. Drawing in that audience, monopolizing a certain section of the wrestling industry. You go to... NXT UK, it was made to compete with the UK independent scene, and it basically absolved the UK indies. Rev Pro really exists, and Pro Wrestling Eve really exists. That's it. <laughs> NXT UK destroyed the UK indies. And then, NXT was made and pushed to be competitive with AEW, further monopolizing... U.S. independent wrestling. U.S. independent. U.S. wrestling. So, now, 
NXT is in a very strange position. Because NXT, it won against Ring of Honor. It won against the US Indies. It won against the UK Indies. AEW beat NXT. Let's just call it what it is. People want to spin this in a particular way. Obviously, I'm a much bigger fan of AEW than I am NXT, but I try not to be tribalistic when it comes to professional wrestling. I really hate tribalism, so let's just let's just pause on that before we throw out any accusations like that, like ah oh, tribalism, whatever, and just call it from an unbiased perspective. AEW versus NXT, which were in direct competition. NXT lost. AEW won. NXT has been in all of this competition up to this point, of course, with a major head start. Obviously, as part of WWE, it's going to have a head start. AEW's head start was the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes. That's really it. I don't think it's funding being owned by the Khan family is much of a head start because they have no experience in wrestling. They have money. They don't have experience. And when they came head to head, AEW won, NXT lost, and NXT has never lost before. Now we see NXT with no clear direction. They're not really doing anything anymore. Up to this point, NXT has been there to compete with other forms, other forms, other worlds of wrestling. It's been there to steal away that audience and emulate. Right now, NXT kind of just exists. And because of that, I feel like, not even I feel like, it is evidence that it has no steam. For the first time ever, NXT has no steam. And that sucks. <laughs> that really sucks because up until this point, NXT has been the redeeming factor of WWE to me personally. I've liked NXT for the most part. In a general sense, I've liked NXT. I don't like it week to week. I haven't for a long time. But overall, I appreciate NXT for what it is. Lately, it's just kind of sucked. And that's not a good thing for any of us. I do hope that NXT can get better. I do hope it finds its footing, finds some direction, and gets better. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about AEW. First off, Cody Rhodes versus Alistair Black, sorry, Malachi Black. Malachi destroyed Cody in under five minutes. There was a big table bump in this match. Cody just suddenly went through a table. He got annihilated with a kick. I forget what Malachi is calling his kick now. It used to be called the Black Mass in WWE. Don't know what it's called now, but he annihilated Cody. Post-match, Cody went to tease his retirement. He, like, started unzipping his boots and stuff. And then he got attacked by Malachi. Obviously, they're doing a rematch. Cody is off to shoot season two of, I believe it's called The Go Big Show. It's some show on TNT. Whatever. When he's back from that, we're going to have a rematch. I'd love some stipulation. Some kind of, like, cage match. Something cool like that. But we'll see. That's about a month or so from now. They have so long to build up Malachi Black as a true monster. And oh my god, 
it worked. <laughs> it worked on night one in his first match. Hell yeah, Malachi Black's presentation was phenomenal. I am so happy. This is going to be a huge deal. I love Malachi Black. Rampage. AEW Rampage begins my time Saturday. That will be like, as of the time of publishing, a day and a half from now. As of the time of recording, it's a little bit longer, but yes, an extra hour of AEW programming every week. It's gonna be good. There's been some history getting here. We've heard about the additional hour for a long time now, well over a year. It was determined, as I understand, very early on into the existence of AEW that they wanted to have two-hour weekly show and then an extra hour later in the week. We're told this is going to be just as important as Dynamite each week. We'll see. But my hopes are up. I'm really looking forward to another hour of AEW that's actually meaningful. Because the YouTube shows aren't that great. They're usually bullshit, right? So week one of Rampage, we have Britt Baker main eventing in Pittsburgh, her hometown. That's very obvious. It's a very good thing. Putting Britt Baker in the main event, not just of the first Rampage and the women's title on the line in the first episode. That's cool. But even better than that, Britt Baker in her hometown main event. That's awesome. But her opponent is Red Velvet. Who the fuck is Red Velvet? Like, seriously, I know nothing about this woman. She apparently comes from straight out of your mama's kitchen. That's all we know about her. <laughs> like, I don't know if this is a good first opponent, but it's Britt Baker. Give her a win. She's definitely going to win. Whatever. I, whatever. I'm more excited about the second week of Rampage, which is called, it's AW Rampage, the first dance. It's in Chicago, and we're being led to believe that CM Punk will make his debut for AW that night in Chicago. If they don't deliver, I, like, they have to at this point, right? They fucking have to. If CM Punk isn't there, I don't even, I, I can't even fathom that. <laughs> but that's gonna be cool, because I love me some CM Punk. I always did. He's amazing. Now, yes, let's talk about the naughty boy in pro wrestling for this past week, Max Casa. Here's the clip. Yeah, pretty fucking spicy, 
right? <laughs> Flanim Max Casa is always pretty spicy. He has his controversial rap gimmick. I fucking love it. I want to fucking marry this guy. I love him so much. And people didn't really like that. People really didn't fucking like that promo. He made some, like I said, pretty spicy remarks. A bit of a reference to a well-publicized rape trial. And the response to it on Twitter wasn't too good. No one cared live, but the response via Twitter from I maintain a vocal minority really not good. And he copped a lot of heat for it. Tony Khan actually responded, and I have written down here. So this was Tony Khan on Busted Open Radio the following day of August 4th. Last night on Dark, Max Cast's rap was terrible. I was not out there when he did it. It was not during Dynamite. I was out back when Max had said his rap. I had not heard it until last night, truthfully. In the editing process, it should have been caught. We deleted the episode and reposted it with that, meaning the rap, edited out. But it shouldn't have aired. I put such tight controls on Dynamite and this never would have happened there. Max, his raps, I've always gone over them with him, and frankly, every segment on Dynamite, I don't script or write wrestlers promos, but the bullet points I give. Now that's some pretty poorly worded, <laughs> it's very poorly worded, it's kind of a rushed sentence to be honest, so in case you didn't get that, Tony Khan saying that he doesn't necessarily script everything that airs on AW Dynamite, and I guess Rampage 2, moving forward, and instead he tends to give talent direction in the form of bullet points. Tony Khan continues, In this case, it shouldn't have happened. And going forward, I will be taking over the editing of Dark and Dark Elevation myself. I was already editing Dynamite and Rampage, and I do a lot, and now I'll be editing Dark and Elevation. It's unfortunate that it came to that. And as said, that was Tony Khan on Busted Open Radio on August 4th, 2021. Now, overall, he has not actually made a public response to Max Casa in of himself. Just the fact, well, not the fact, just the airing of the promo. With regard to Max himself, he's only said that it, the rap was terrible. As far as I know, he doesn't seem overly mad at Max. He just is embarrassed that it aired. Which is cool. Um, I mean, I get it. If you want to edit that promo out of the show, feel free to do it. Go ahead and do it. It's a bit spicy. It's going to attract like negative attention. But the outrage, I mean, come on. It's just really odd. Like, were you really so deeply fucking offended? Beyond wrestling, wrestling promotion, I forget where it's based, it's an independent promotion. They have pulled Max Caster from certain cards upcoming and are no longer booking him moving forward. Like, are we seriously doing this? 
over a risque rap promo. Are we seriously offended, or do we just want to feel like we're doing the right thing? Are we flexing our morals, trying to do this whole right side of history bullshit? Is it really worth using this innocuous heel promo to prove a fucking point? Like, when do we target the actual fucking abusers? Max Caster said some offensive words. So fucking what? He didn't drop the N-bomb. He didn't say faggots. He said a risque promo. When do we actually go after the serial fucking abusers? Like Joey Ryan or DJ Hyde? Nothing's come of them. They've had the finger pointed at them and nothing has really happened. We go, when are we going after the alleged child groomers? Like the formerly known as Velveteen Dream. Max Caster said something that was admittedly very stupid. I thought it was funny. I like Max Caster's gimmick overall, but I can understand being a little disturbed by what he said. It was stupid, and it shouldn't have made the air. It really should not, but it did. So let's just calm the fuck down. <laughs> let's not cancel this guy and attempt to destroy the career of a bright young star. Like, this guy has a lot of potential, right? Are we going to cancel him over something silly like this? Meanwhile, like I said, the Velveteen Dream is trying to break into the independent scene. An alleged child groomer. And I say alleged because... I have to say alleged, but there's a lot of fucking evidence against him. And he's trying to take independent bookings, right? He has taken some. As far as I know, he hasn't worked the dates yet, but he has dates upcoming. And we want to cancel Max Costa? Get fucked. Come on. Seriously. Well, that's all the big wrestling headlines for the week. So now, let's get a little bit mellow. And talk about beautiful Bobby Eaton. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TBS and the NWA main event. We're going to go back in time in a few moments to a piece of videotape from World Championship Wrestling. Flying Brian and Z-Man were wrestling the United States Tag Team Champions at Midnight Express, of course, of which beautiful Bobby Eaton is a prominent member of. And then Big Sid Vicious came to the ring and really made his presence known. Bobby got right in your face. Yeah, Jim, you know he got in my face. So what? Big deal. You know, it don't matter to me. Sid, this is your big guy. Sure, you may beat me up, but every time you see me, Sid, you're going to have to beat me up. So if you beat me up tonight, tomorrow morning when you get up to eat breakfast, think about it because you're going to have to fight me again tomorrow night again. That's a good one to me. You're a very determined man, Bob, and I'll tell you something, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or tag team competition, I understand you guys don't have a major problem with the horseman, but Sid Vicious is the one that has really asserted himself. Well, you know, Arn is a personal friend of mine. Rick Flair's a friend of mine. Barry Williams is a friend of mine. Now, Sid Vicious, I haven't had no problems with you, son, but... Looks like we're going to have a problem. If you, like I said, if you want to fight your big man and you beat a lot of people up, but beat me up every time you see me, because that's what you're going to have to do, son. Bobby fucking Eaton. That was, in essence, his real name. Born Robert Lee Eaton on August 14th, 1958 in Huntsville, Alabama, Bobby Eaton had a long career lasting from 1976 until his formal retirement in 2015, though beautiful Bobby worked his final match in 2012. He was most famous for his 
excellent work as a tag team wrestler from the early 1980s through to the mid-1990s. Bobby Eaton was the greatest tag team wrestler who ever lived. It's not even close, and frankly, it's not up for debate. Younger fans may point to a guy like Glenn Jacobs, and I'm sure that all Japan enthusiasts are screaming the name Mitsuharu Masawa into their monitors. But both of those straw men are wrong. Bobby Eaton is the greatest tag team wrestler ever. Full stop. Of course, the most praised tag team of Bobby Eaton was with Dennis Condry and later Stan Lane always accompanied by Jim Cornette's The Midnight Express, one of the finest tag teams in pro wrestling history. Though Eden was also in a number of other famous tag teams. You had Bobby Eden and Steve Kern in The Fabulous Ones, extremely underrated and kind of forgotten in today's day and age, but Kern and Eden, fabulous ones, oh my fucking god, they were fucking great. Go out of your way to look up some fabulous ones matches, you will not be disappointed. Eden also tagged with Coco Ware, William Regal, or then Stephen Regal, and Arn Anderson, the list goes on, those are just a couple. Bobby Eden. Like, oh my god, as an in-ring worker, he was fucking exceptional, right? Like, Bobby Eden was amazing as an in-ring wrestler. Like, from today's day and age, I would argue that Bobby Eden's closest comparison would, believe it or not, be Hiroshi Tanahashi. Widely considered one of the, one of, like, Tanahashi is one of, if not the best wrestler in the world today. Bobby Eden, closest comparison, right? Just crisp and precise in everything they did. And everything they did was a level above any of their contemporaries. Like, just perfect in execution. Flawless timing. Master of psychology. He also did incredible fucking things. Like, for the 1980s, he was just incredible. He did, like, think about Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay, in today's day and age, does some of the most incredible shit you will see in professional wrestling. Bobby Eden, in the 80s, was Will Ospreay in that regard. A lot of people compare him to Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks. And it's for that reason. There are some of the older guard who don't like the Young Bucks. They get upset by that comparison. What you need to understand is that what's meant by that is just whether or not you like the Young Bucks, you have to admit they're athletic and they do some incredible things, right? Just incredible, beautiful spots. Bobby Eden did the same in the 1980s. Maybe it was just a little, a little bit more, um... Not realistic, just it made a little bit more sense, I suppose. So, he was a very quick wrestler. 
very fast. He worked very fluid and very fast. He did a lot of moves. Some might argue too much, considering the time and place. But he was fast. He did a lot. High work rate. He did the Alabama Jam, which was a top rope leg drop. And what you need to understand about leg drops, <laughs> just normally, they fucking hurt. Like, leg drops suck to do. Off the top rope, that really fucking sucks. That was his finishing move, the Alabama Jam. And it was always an incredible fucking spot. And it always looked beautiful. Bobby Eaton was also fond of the superplex. That's a suplex from the top rope. A standard vertical suplex from the top rope. And, like, every really big Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express match had a dramatic superplex. It was always right at a pivotal moment entering the climax of the match. If you can separate a match into three acts, it was always, always entering that third act. And mostly it was Bobby Eden taking the superplex. He fucking loved that spot and he was a master of it. Really, Bobby Eden could have worked and really did work with all of the best of his day and he could have hung in there with the best from any day. Maybe not Frank Gotch. That's it, right? No one could hang with Frank Gotch. He never had the charisma of a main event star, but he had all the fucking skill of a main event star. Like, seriously, he today would be a fantastic middle-of-the-card wrestler. I'd love to see Bobby Eaton versus Brian Danielson, Bobby Eaton versus Saya Sonata, uh, Bobby Eaton versus Frankie Kazarian. Think about that match. Eaton versus Kazarian. That would be incredible, right? Prime Eaton versus Frankie Kazarian pretty much of any fucking day would be amazing. And literally Eden doing anything with FTR. Like, the fact that even today, Bobby Eden would have fucking just fit in really says something about his quality as a professional wrestler. So in episode 29, I did an episode called Pro Wrestlers That I Like. I actually wrote a lengthy piece on the Midnight Express, and of course Jim Cornette's, but I scrapped it, like, right before recording. I figured, hey, I'm already doing the Rock and Roll Express, who are pretty much my favorite tag team ever, and, you know, I'm going to talk about the Midnight Express in that segment, but I just feel now like I should have included that. I really regret it now, so here I am talking about Eden, who honestly is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Like, the prime of his career was before I was even born. His best stuff in Mid-South, of course, my opinion, long before I was born, like a almost a full decade before I was born. His best year, the best stuff I've ever seen from Bobby Eden was in 1984, and I was born in 1983. There you go. I can only imagine how much I like and am wowed by Bobby Eden today. 
I can only imagine being there for it as it happens. Now, if you want a media, I suppose, more meaningful retrospective and pretty much the perfect eulogy for Bobby Eden, I would highly recommend The Jim Cornette Experience, episode 393, two hours on Bobby Eden. It was posted recently as of the time of this publication of this podcast. And this was just perfect, right? Like, this is my piece as a fan from the outside looking in. Jim Cornette was practically family to Bobby Eden. Anything that I could say, Jim will say one million times better. If you're interested, I will direct you towards that. For Cassidy, then, I will never allow beautiful Bobby Eden to be forgotten. If professional wrestling history ever forgets Bobby Eden, simply put, fuck professional wrestling history. Jimmy Crockett Promotions, Mid-Atlantic. April 26, 1998, the Midnight Express, that's Eden and Stan Lane, defend the NWA World Tag Team titles against Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton, the team of the Fantastics, and it is my favorite tag team match of all time, maybe top five matches altogether. I'm not sure on that, to be honest. Go watch or rewatch that match. For 40 minutes, Bobby Eaton might as well be the best in-ring wrestler of all time. And I'm not kidding. His performance in that match is among the all-time greatest in industry history. He was a legend. A wrestling genius. One of the finest athletes to have ever laced a pair of boots. He was the very definition of a work horse. Beautiful Bobby Eden leaves this world with a legacy. He's left an indelible mark on not just the world of tag team wrestling, but professional wrestling as a whole. Rest easy, friend. I will never forget you. And that is the show for the week. As we close... On a bit of a somber note, I really hope that I covered and soliloquized Bobby Eaton respectfully. Honestly, I left this week's episode until the very last moment. After pulling the COVID information on Monday morning, this slack bitch did nothing at all until fucking Wednesday. And my voice... These past few days, it has been horrible. Today, it's very deep and raspy and fucking masculine, and I hate it. I'm never going to listen back to this episode because my voice is horrible and it's making me want to cry. Ugh. Like, there was a point where I was pretty much just like, fuck it, I'll skip the week. But, obviously, since here we are, cooler, far more rational heads prevailed. Honestly, the rational thing would probably just be not stressing over a podcast, but I want to do it, so here I am. What about next week? Next week, seven days from now, we are traveling back little over six months 
in time to January 2021, and episode 7 of Cassidy is alive. All good things, they deserve a sequel. Next week, it will be Internet Law Part 2. We'll be talking Spider-Man Threads, Maddox's $20 million lawsuit, James Rolfe, 4chan's graduation day pranks, and a fuck ton more. Or I suppose however many more I decide to put in. <laughs> that will be next week. For now though, you have yourself a chill, lovely week. And I will be with you again soon with hopefully a very better voice than I had this week. Fingers crossed. Thank you for being with me as always. Bye! of dictating the pace. Forearm right to the ear, jaw, beautiful Bobby. Flair, those chops are just legendary. Oh, man. Right above us, and this, it's echoing throughout the Civic Coliseum. Beautiful Bobby from Huntsville, Alabama. A succession of right hands. Flair in trouble. Bobby was going to go for the cover right there. Irish ship to Flair. There's the backdrop. High elevation. Flair went face first moments ago. Notice how Bobby squared himself in front of Ric Flair, making sure that he had his eyes right on the world champion because a lot of times Flair will lull you into the sense that you have him, and then he'll come back with an offensive move. Bobby did not allow him to do that. Good move, Bobby. Say what you will. Say what you will.